So first of all, all of you know that last week there was Libra full moon period and we are still receiving the effects of the energization from Libra. It's a third ray, first ray combination. Quite important for everyone to just be on guard and be aware of the energies of Aries, the first ray, working through Libra, the third ray. As you're profoundly and divinely mathematical in all of your thinking, it shouldn't, in actions, it shouldn't produce any problems. But if you've got any SP activities, then it goes straight into the SP and knocks you out. Every chakra is a wheel, so whichever way the wheel turns, that's what happens to you. First ray, sixth ray. Congratulations for everyone sitting here. You're going to listen to a talk on the seven rays, and hopefully it will be useful to you. It's one of the things that everyone that comes to us have to learn about and think in terms of continuously. Everything is governed by means of them. Today is the 18th of October 2011 and the talk is the nature of the seven rays. Everyone is familiar with light, is that which enables you to see, visualize. You can see the sun as the source of light and light as it impinges upon objects and then reflects into your retina and then is processed by your brain, converts it all, all the millions of little images you see into pictures, pictures that stimulate consciousness. Without the faculty of light, you wouldn't be able to think much at all. You'd be able to think, but it'd be very hard to develop consciousness. Light is the vehicle of consciousness. Wherever you have a luminary, there you have manifestation of consciousness. It's a bit difficult for most people when they think of, in terms of the coloured rays, red, orange, yellow, green, blue, indigo and violet, and that's what comes from the spectrum of white light. And then when we speak of the colours of the rays, we're looking at different colours altogether. We start off with red, but it's the opposite of what red is with regards to natural light, where in natural light, red is the manifest at 4,000 angstroms. It's got the lowest or the longest wavelength, and in the violet, manifests at about seven to 7,500 Armstrongs and it's got the most intense energy associated with it. But in our esoteric world, red is the most intense of the energies. So our colours are red, blue, green, yellow, orange. Then we have a variation of pink or sky blue and then violet. So people then say, where did these colours come from? What is the source of the seven rays? Before we go into this particular question and try to answer it a little bit, it's important to point out that the teachings of the rays have always been with us. They exist in the myths. They exist wherever you have a listing of seven. 
the, the seven spirits uh, before the throne of God, the seven days of creation. There's many, many lists of seven in Buddhist philosophy in our myths and elsewhere throughout the Bible. Whenever you see such a listing, it's important for all of you that are esoteric students just simply say, ah, the rays, and start to interpret that listing in terms of those ray qualities. There are sometimes different ways that they are arranged. They not always arrange according to rays 1 to 7. They could be arranged backwards, 7 to 1. They could be arranged in terms of um, the first ray line, which is 1, 3, 5, 7, or in terms of the second ray line, which is 2, 4, 6. The modern teaching of the rays was given out in an exoteric fashion, firstly by Blavatsky in The Secret Doctrine, and then the very simple teachings were given out after that by her disciples. Then the in-depth teaching were given by Alice Bailey. And then you have such books as Initiation, Human Soul was the first book, Raising Initiations, Esoteric Psychology, Volume 1, Esoteric Astrology, and all of the other books produce and give to the world much detailed information on the rays. Esoteric Psychology is specifically the treatise on the rays, and of course she gave us the treatise on the seven rays in her various books. This is the way we of hierarchy analyse all things in nature, all things in cosmos, all aspects to do with human psychology and, of course, the subject of planes as well. We think almost entirely in terms of the rays and ray combinations. When you become more esoteric, you'll also think in terms of sound and chakras. Esoterically, the seven rays find their various sources in constellations within the body of the one about whom not can be said. And you can see this makes it difficult to explain them because all sorts of prerequisite knowledge is needed. In our books, we say that the first ray comes from the seven rishis. But essentially, the seven rishis of the great bear are the source of all seven rays. But that constellation itself is the home of the first ray energy direct. The star Sirius is the home of the second ray. The Pleiades gives us the third ray of all of the rays of mind from three to seven. There's many other sources of energy. As you know, all stars emit energy and energy fields and according to different wavelengths of those energy fields that is then seen in terms of the rays of light. The electromagnetic spectrum from the point of view of science is quite, it extends in infinity in either direction and the part of the spectrum where you have the seven rays is just a small, small part of the entire. You have gamma rays, x-rays, infrared and then on the other side sound waves that, that can go, you know, their amplitude can be probably longer than a mile, um, whereas X-rays can be many little waves within a millimetre. But when it comes to the esoteric 
side, we are talking in terms of the way that consciousness evolves. Beings that have long ago transcended consciousness, as you understand it as human beings, have become Buddhas, they've evolved out into cosmic space, and within cosmic space they've developed further high esoteric law that enable them to manifest as a solace logos. And then as the source of all light and heat and energy and life itself to that entire solar system emanates the rays, not just the rays of light that is seen by your human eyes, but also the subjective rays which influence consciousness, which influence all substance, all time and space within the body of a manifestation of such a great being. It's therefore quite a vast subject to properly look at the source of these energies and what they really represent. Wherever there is substance, there is a manifesting entity. And wherever there is a manifesting entity, there you have an entity that is coloured by one or other of the rays. I don't want to repeat a lot of very elementary teachings from our perspective to do with the monad, monad evolution or the soul, what a human being really is esoterically. You can see that all this is woven into it, the difference between a human and the diva kingdom. The divas are the conveyors of the rays of light. It is all conveyed within the substance that is diva. Light itself is composed of myriads of little diva lives manifesting at different hues. When we speak of consciousness and try to separate it a little bit from substance and the evolution of consciousness, that is when we specifically talk of the rays, Human beings are focused upon themselves. They think almost entirely in terms of being human. But when you think more esoterically, as I said, you're thinking also of the Diva Kingdom, and you're thinking in terms of streams of lives that have evolved from the human state into superhuman state aeons ago, solar systems ago. And they also have evolved along specific ray lines. With regards to the rays themselves, Alice Bailey, in the, in the writings of Alice Bailey or DK, there's the seven rays are given as the first ray as will or power, and the second ray of, as love, wisdom, the third ray as activity, the fourth ray is harmony in the midst of conflict, the fifth ray is science, the sixth ray is given as devotion, and the seventh ray is given as ceremonial magic. Now, in looking at these relatively simple definitions, I've discovered that it's not adequate. There's a lot missing when you're looking at just simply the concept of the fifth ray as science, or the third ray as activity. It's not 
correct. Therefore, I've struggled to actually, over the years, to find better definitions of the rays, better ways of explaining them in succinct statements. And it's actually quite difficult because there are many, many attributes to the rays and it's very hard to synthesize or explain, give the keynotes of the particular rays in one or two or three words. The first ray I have defined and I've retained the old statement of will or power. It's very difficult to get beyond the concept of will and the development of will that overcomes all obstacles in order to reach the goal and the power not so much on the physical plane but the power to penetrate and pierce through veils the power that allows you to see a far-sighted vision and achieve the goal that that vision shows you Penetrative power, directive power, destructive power, these are qualities of the first ray. Creative power, you can almost say. But it doesn't really give you what the first ray really is. It's the ray that governs the spirit or monad, the highest domain of being non-being. It produces the destruction of the form. Whatever you would use in order to try to wield the first ray to understand it comes to be destroyed by means of it. It transmutes, transforms. It liberates the life within the form so that the life can be free. And these forms that you are living in and thinking through are cages, are shells, are jails. They're restrictive. They limit you to what you know about yourself in this samsara, in this three-dimensional space-time zone that most people think that that is what life is about. When the first ray works within that, it destroys those bounds, it destroys the confines of the form, confines of the mind to bring all back to the source, what in the Christian terminology is called Father or God, what in the Buddhist terminology is called Dharmakaya, the Buddha mind, the monad, what is sometimes called life. You can see why it is difficult to explain, talk in terms of these rays or define them properly, because People are very unaccustomed to think in these terms. They think in terms of their psychological states, the vacillating mental emotions in which they reside, and very unaccustomed to thinking in terms of that which produces liberation from it. Therefore, when we use the term power, it is the power to liberate, the power to transform, transmute substance into higher states. I was going to say of perception, but it's not really perception. I have the phrase being, non-being. Being is that which relates to form, 
in the Sanskrit we call it rupa form and non-being often is called arupa, non-form but technically the proper term is shunyata the void and being is samsara and this first ray produces an experience of the void and the void is not nothing the void is the all, everything but there's no consciousness no form as you understand it pure energy, pure bliss and the will is what is needs to be developed in order to get you there the will to overcome all of the hindrances of the personality vehicle that binds and restricts you to form to forms in, of consciousness to your mental, emotional use the phrase bedlam that people live in to the form that makes you consider yourself as human beings because when you get there being non-being the whole concept of being human is gone your soul that goes the first way destroys the soul form it brings you to the central radiant sun that is the source of all being non-being the will therefore is what is developed in order to overcome the hindrances to liberation to the development of a Buddha mind to become fully enlightened fully awakened enlightened is not even a proper term therefore the Buddhists use awakened for their term Bodhi for instance when it manifests this particular energy in humans in undeveloped humans in the whole it produces martial, warlike, often aggressive attitudes therefore they say it's the ray of the soldier the ray of the warrior those that can produce death and destruction and use a lot of will to overcome other people or to overcome the challenges in their lives it also produces therefore um, the ray that often politicians and those that are to rule many beings they work with this first ray in order to govern well they should be and it's clean form because the first ray is always destructive in its intent things must be destroyed if builders are to come to build from the wreckage of the old outmoded that which is new and much more useful and viable in consciousness and civilization in the realms of being non-being always throughout the history of time the pageantry of life you see the destruction of civilizations people themselves die and are reborn always in a higher cycle likewise with civilizations wars come and go come and go territorial acquisition and then um, the letting go of what was plundered for another different hopefully higher form 
or nation that takes its place. This coming and going that produces higher, more embracive, liberated lifestyle is the effect of the first ray. It touches and recedes. But is it the energy of the eye of God penetrates? The first ray, therefore, when it is developed, and those that can develop it, travel furthest and fastest along the road to liberation, towards divinity, towards overcoming the vicissitudes of their samsaric life. You can quickly travel into cosmic space on the beam of the first ray when the will is adequately developed in order to handle greater and greater intensifications of energy that pour into consciousness until consciousness itself no longer is. I've discovered it's very hard for most of you to even understand what it's like when you don't have an emotional body. Imagine what it's like when you don't even have a mind. The next step after that. That's what happens at the higher initiations. It goes. It itself is an illusion, a form. All these transformations. So, as you work upon the development of will, so that you can manifest the power to overcome you can quickly get there to overcome all challenges in life however when you add to it the mind and its desires for this and that then this energy of the will can be quickly corrupted to produce power over others power on the physical plane power to conquer and to destroy cruel, ruthless power, no matter what the cost, no matter the cost of human lives, the cost in civilization, the cost of nations. Amass all that power for yourself. This is the genesis of the Dark Brotherhood. Much easier to think selfishly with the first ray and use the sword to conquer and to cut and destroy so that you can wield a large empire of willing servants around you, of resources amassed for yourself. You can see, therefore, that the blade of divinity that it represents must be tempered with love, which is the second ray of love-wisdom. So we go from a scarlet colour, an intense energy field, to an all-embracive blue, the indigo blue of night sky, that which all the stars that shine out light live in. It is the all, the everything, compasses space. It is beyond the consideration of forms. All forms reside with it. And having built the universe, it still remains beyond it. It is far more than what any of your imaginations can conceive. Unifies all into oneness. This is the energy of love.
and if the first ray is not to abstract everything into nothingness, it must be tempered by the love that is the everythingness. Love's wisdom is a dual ray because love by itself is a beautiful, blissful state to experience and to reside in, to imbibe, to be in. Venus, I suppose, is a good phrase. This is what happens when, or a state that you exist in, when form itself no longer is, in shunyata. Shunyata is probably just another way of saying love, the state of love when there's no mind, no form this experience of the all. But if you need to relate with forms, with the cosmos as it is, and to order it in sequence so it produces a meaningful result, wisdom must be applied. And therefore the wisdom or the love wisdom exists or comes or emanates from that which is the nexus between samsara and shunyata. Esoteric statement, difficult to explain or to understand. What is wisdom, therefore? The book of Ecclesiastes says, wisdom is the principal thing, therefore get wisdom. The whole objective of the Buddhist philosophy is the development of wisdom. The Buddha, after all, was eminently wise. His whole philosophy is based on it. Wisdom is that which produces inevitably the awakening or the awakened one, the shunyata experience. Wisdom is not just an accumulation of bits of knowledge. You can have whole encyclopedic knowledge. You can study books until... <laughs> well, until the universe ends, but doesn't necessarily produce wisdom. Wisdom is gained through the experience of life as you develop love. Without the love, there is no wisdom. It's just knowledge. And you can be a very powerful mind, and you can develop mind along the first ray or the destroyer ray mechanism. That's again the way of the Dark Brotherhood. You must understand the way all things exist or coexist as one, evolve together, and work to produce that. It necessitates long, aeonic, evolutionary progress of consciousness so that eventually the bits of knowledge and the voluminous bits of knowledge that you've gained by means of your five senses and the eye consciousness specifically get coordinated in such a way that future patternings, the revelations of what the future is to bring appears in consciousness. You see that which is the predestined space, the patternings of life and your work in order to manifest the harmonious cooperation of all the unities that seem separative into a force field of one 
a oneness. And it's the heart song, therefore, actively manifesting. Knowledge is necessary, but love must integrate the knowledge into the patternings of life, which you can see clearly in the heart's mind. The wisdom is knowledge of the heart and the way the heart thinks, in contradistinction to the way of mind, or what in Buddhism is called citta vritti, substance of the mind. So, of these first two rays, I have not changed them. Then we get to the third ray. And the third ray, which is the colouring, is emerald green. DK simply calls it activity. But activity has a, a rightness about it. How do I describe it? Something along the lines of divine mathematical ordering or mathematical exactitude or the activity of mathematical exactitude. The third ray is the green colour of nature and is the colour of the feminine principle, the creative principle, the mother aspect. first ray is that which we call the father principle, the will that from which everything emanated. The second ray is the sun principle, the consciousness space, or the consciousness of space, in which everything resides. And the third ray is the substance principle, the activity of the substance principle, that is mathematically ordered so as to produce all of the numbers and the quantities and the qualities that you see everywhere in nature and in our universe. Everything is its harmony of the spheres, its rhythm, its place, its potency. The entire science of physics is based on this mathematics. And if any aspect of the maths of the universe goes out of place, then you have chaos. You have destructiveness. You have a non-existing universe. There's something like nine major numbers that make up the factor that we as humans can exist in this universe. If any of these numbers are changed in any way, their dimensions, then it will make life in a universe impossible. So this divine mathematical activity is the third brain, the way I describe it. It's exact and the mathematics really is the way that the mind works itself out and makes myriads of computations like a computer. Many different angles and uh, many different directions of space looking at all the pros and cons in the way that a thing will manifest into the future. And when something has been worked out and say, that is the correct form of activity, that road will lead to the gain, the product, then that is the way one shall manifest. And these other ways produce dead ends or 
half-truths, aberrant energies, aberrant processes. Only one way produces the conclusion from beginning to end. And that type of thinking of the abstract mind is instantaneous, automatic, spontaneous. It's not a concretion. And that is the mind of all of nature, of the mother's department. Everything you see is thus ordered, sequenced, rightly processed according to an evolutionary paradigm. And it starts from, according to science, a ball of gas revolving until eventually there's an agglomeration of particles due to gravity that makes a... and eventually the, the gravity causes the blaze of a sun and then the planets accrete and so forth. It's all based on numbers, on maths. And life appears. But we know that the ordering is based on high abstract conscious reasoning. The mother's department that orders space so that forms can evolve to produce the consciousness vehicles or the vehicles of consciousness we call human units so that they can transform the blackness of space into light to become light bearers. This is what evolution is all about. From ignorance, according to Buddhist philosophy and our own logic, from ignorance, a state of great darkness, to light, a state of intense luminosity. An enlightened mind is simply called luminous, illumined. The natural state of mind is the clear light of mind. That's the way an awakened one, or Buddha, an enlightened one, is described. Whenever you look at the pictures of these things in punkas, you see the radiance around them. Of pure luminosity according to the type of ray energy that they are the custodians of. This type of ordering that produces the exactitude of that ray line is the third ray. In a nutshell, there we basically have the main rays. The red, the blue and the green. And everything comes from them. The third ray is a composite of five subsidiary rays, which we call the rays of mind. I call it with a capital M because it is divine, it's abstract. It's not concrete mind, but abstract mind, illumined substance, radiant and instantaneously revelatory in this mathematically exact way. From this particular ray, therefore, comes what we call karma, the emanation of karma and its resolution, because it orders the patternings of space-time via consciousness units. And those consciousness units eventually evolve back into the source. These three rays are the rays of the monad, or the monadic being, or the spirit aspect, or the threefold divinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Mother. 
Ein, Ein, Sof, Ein, Safur, these three abstract aspects of whatever you think you are. When form needs to appear, when there is a universe or a planetary system such as our Earth, then these abstract rays must manifest via substance to produce form. And it produces a reflection to three concreted rays of mind, a fiery sphere, a watery sphere and a dense sphere via a middle ray which is mirror-like. Here we're talking about, of course, the evolution of samsara from primordial store of substance and its agglomeration into forms and then the evolution of those forms to produce mind spaces that we are as human units. Now, this fourth ray, the ray of the mirror, in DK's books is simply called Harmony in the Midst of Strife. I call it Beautifying Harmony over Overcoming Conflict. It is this mirror, or the mirror-like wisdom of Buddhism, that reflects the highest three potencies into the illusional form. And there you have the golden-yellow energy that manifests in the form of this mirror. The fourth ray is this yellow colouring, this golden colour. The colour that we see often as our suns. When we're talking about the fourth ray, we can also think in terms of planes of perception. And here I'm looking at the formation of flowers that are the chakras through which the higher principles reflect consciousness via floral forms that form on the etheric space, not dense physical space, and around which the substance of space is attracted, accrued, so forms are built. The forms are built by means of mind. The mind itself is the substance of, or the natural state of expression of the Deva kingdom, of the Angela kingdom, of the builders of the form, of the agents of the mother. We go from abstract mind now to concrete or formed mind where all of the vortices of space all of the attributes of consciousness are delineated according to lesser forms the multitudes of forms the multitudes of images that exist on the domain of mind the multitude of entities that produce the forms. You can see the effect of mind all around you. Millions of floral shapes, millions of plants, animals and the very minerals of the earth all evolving together, all manifesting infinite segregation and variation 
and variegation of colorations. The fifth ray of science, or concrete science. DK just simply calls it science. That is the concretion of what exists on the mental plane, on the domain of mind. And this element of mind is fiery, and the colouring is orange. And this is a difficult one to properly define. I call it scientific endeavour, divine reason, or scientific reasoning. What I don't want is people to confuse it with materialistic science. It is not that. It is the way the mind applies itself in a scientific fashion, in, with reason, to develop eventually wisdom. It utilises concreted bits of knowledge, in other words, forms of different types that are coloured images of whatever has been experienced in the material world and integrates them into complete pictures with reason. If it wasn't so, it would be quite schizophrenic, quite chaotic minds. Insanity would be the norm. So you can see what we're trying to get to with regards to this concept of science is the way that the mind naturally works. It collates segregated bits of information into patternings, into images, into forms which it understands. And each mind understands different forms in different ways. It is the experiential aspect of human consciousness. And of its own nature, it collates all of the images and the other sense perceptors that it's gained from a body of manifestation such as our human body in terms of a unity, in terms of an I, in terms of an entity, an ego that separates itself from other entities, egos. This segregative, separative nature of mind is the fifth ray. It is ordered and orders itself into patternings of thought that are regulated and rhythmic. As you can see, some people think scientifically, most people don't. But the substance of mind is scientific in its application. It produces bits of knowledge collated in such a way that you can function. You no longer have to learn how to walk when you get up in the morning. It comes automatic to you now. You no longer have to think too much about how to eat and so forth. All these things you've learnt as a child. But there's many more things that you're learning now as your mind has developed with zillions or billions of bits of information that's developed over the years that you have lived. And the patterning persists. But mind of itself 
is meaningless. Mind of itself, what does it produce? Images of itself? Images of this universe which is always fleeting, phenomenal, changing, never static. It tries to make sense of that. It tries to inquire how, where, why, what for this quality of the instinct towards knowledge. Because that's the nature of the collative aspect of the mind, of the scientific aspect. And eventually it must transcend its our own bounds in order to understand. It must jump across the gap that is the fourth ray to the abstract mind and inevitably to the love principle to see how it all interrelates, how all the unities fit together into one universe. And we're not just talking in terms of our present scientific concept of universe. We're talking about the universe of possibilities, the multidimensional universe, wherein which we all reside. So this form of activity is the fifth ray of science. Scientific reasoning, scientific aptitude. Then we get to this wonderful thing called the sixth ray. One can be in love with the sixth ray. It's quite an interesting um, field of expression. But in reality, it's an illusion. Doesn't really exist per se. What is the sixth ray? It is an energy body. It's an energy field that interrelates mind with substance. What is substance? Well, in the Sanskrit term, we use the term mula prakriti, the universal substance matter. It's all this stuff into which you've incarnated, the diva substance all around you, the forms that mind collates, visualizes. Mind is fiery, the forms are earthy, the energy field by nature is watery. It's a flux, facilitates the utilisation of the form so that mind can understand better. This is not really the energy of devotion, is it? As D.K. puts it. I also can't find a better term than devotion for this energy field. What humans have developed, the way that they've used this flux of energy is that mind has attached itself to various forms. The the process of attachment is the energy of desire. So in order to mould or manipulate or to make forms its own it desires those forms it desires to build this energy of desire is the sixth ray it's very difficult to explain from this point of view the energy of desire what sort of forms do you desire do you desire money, material forms to build a house, shelter, 
Do you desire sex, sexual interrelationships, the pleasure of company? See, the way that the desire manifests and what the desire wants or what the mind wants for itself produces a multitude of fluidically moving forms bound by energy in energy processes and this then inevitably produces the body of emotions the watery body of emotions of desires desire forms and inevitably the human astral plane the heavens and hell states of human beings that they've created over the millennia and into which you go when you leave your body or into which consciousness goes because it's this collective desire body of humanity together, accumulatively they've produced an astral plane they've produced a heaven, hell state in which to experience their collective karma of all of that desire of all of that attachment to material forms. This is necessary because this is the process uh, or the beginning of the process of transmutation of substance. Transmutation of substance because in order to redeem substance, in order to convert it into consciousness states, which is what it's all about, the transforming of ignorance into great wisdom, you must bring it to yourself. You must amalgamate it with your mind substance. Incorporate it into your being as much as possible. Amass it around you. Handle it every which way. Manipulate it. Touch it, feel it, express it. That is the summation in many ways of basic human life. They get attached, but the trouble is, it is all ephemeral, evanescent. It doesn't last, nothing lasts in this field of desire. The material body gets older, material forms corrupt, fire burns. Eventually you die to it all and you're reborn again into a new body and you start the process again based on past sequences of attachment to form. But... As you're attached to the form, as your consciousness, as the fires of mind infuse that form of the, what I call the lesser devic lives or the elements of substance with human consciousness, it transforms it, starts to give it human-like qualities, the qualities of mind, starts to push the evolutionary processes onwards until eventually that substance, which is to start off with, the mineral kingdom, will eventually become a human kingdom. The whole process of evolution is pushed forward that way. It's a long explanation to, to explain evolution, and I have done so in my books. You know, a thousand or so pages of proper explanation of this little bit of well, I'm trying to give it to you here of what the six ray really is. 
and your whole path is to conquer desire to transform it into aspiration no longer are you aspiring to attach yourself to gross forms the gross forms of the concrete mind the gross forms of the material substance around you but you see that in the inner realms that there's greater and greater forms of life and light vaster consciousness streams than what you're used to contacting and you aspire to be like that you aspire to liberate yourself from lower gross sensual attachments that your life processes over many many lives have told you produces pain and suffering when it dies it corrupts it goes because of this transient nature of desire and consciousness that abound in fields of desire so yes devotion aspiration creative imagination another aspect of this energy the mind creates what it imagines it wants to be or creates its own imaginative universe and believe me as you're busy creating your imaginative universe when you die that's what you live in whatever that desire field is whatever that creative imagination is built it's yours live in it because the physical body is gone and what's left whatever that desire field is that descends upon you and causes your heaven or hell states when you're separative and selfish and you build for yourself and by taking from all around you causing pain and suffering then that pain and suffering and that which you've taken all around you descends upon you and you must experience it hell when you're outwardly giving in other words energy is going from you to produce harmony and peace around you when you go nothing can descend upon you you merge with the greater all process of liberation and eventually you experience this energy field that is the sixth ray sixth ray therefore is devotion aspiration creative imagination or fields of desire that congeal you and sicken you and corrupt you in ever increasing painful substance because you can't move in it a cesspool of desirous activity liberate go upwards move towards high aspiration with the creative imagination to see yourself as a divine being as a liberated being as a being of light substance for the animal kingdom there's no sixth ray except for maybe dogs a bit of aspiration or a bit of devotion there you can see that it necessitates a mind in order to produce the sixth ray and if the mind hasn't been developed then there's no sixth ray but as i said 
the higher forms of animals through their interrelationship with humans begin to take on their substance and learn devotion and so forth. And that's the reason why we like pets. And the six-ray colourings, generally we have the pink for devotion, but it can also be um, the light blue, sky blue of high aspiration, sometimes can be tinged with purple, can be a lavender colour if it's very purified. It has that type of pastel-y rainbow quality to it. You can see, therefore, that the six-ray, because it is so much engrossed with the field of desire, with attachments, and it is watery by nature, it produces all of the muddy murks of human consciousness when mind rules the desire field and the desire field is in every puddle of desire that you can get and so all those colorings blend together and you get all the greys and grey browns and so forth the most common colorings of human kingdom selfishness therefore you can see where selfishness comes from the rudimentary attribute of mind working through an energy field that desires. Seventh ray, Jenny, is the object of desire, and it's that which governs the physical plane itself, or forms, evolving forms. And it is ritualistic by nature, because it is the rhythms of the fields of life. And therefore, if you look at your own body, there's a heart that beats out 72 beats per minute and this beating of your heart sustains your body it is a rhythm it is the seventh ray manifesting the purpose of the fields of life the earth revolves around the sun and the earth turns on its axis and therefore we get days and nights the rhythm of life it's ceremonial it's ordered it's rhythmic It's the third ray of mathematical exactitude working out its field of application in the domain of forms. What St. Paul calls the entire creation grown of and travail of and pain together. His concept is something like a machinery uh, and the resistance and friction of machinery producing this seventh ray activity we're all moving together and all moving together and different forms of ritualized activity governed by basic patterning such as day and night the tides of life the seasons as they turn to produce your winter summer autumn spring and so forth all beings have biological clocks the mineral kingdom themselves are also governed by rhythms and science has discovered such things as plate tectonics where the plates of the earth moving and the plates go under the crust and get burnt up into the mantle and then it goes up into volcanoes and there's a carbon dioxide cycle or, you know what's called the carbon cycle there's all different types of cycle nitrogen cycles in the atmosphere and Lovelock called it the Gaia theory everything exists and works wonderful 
um, in order to produce biological life at its maximum so that human beings can develop consciousness and wisdom, which is what it's all about. And we are sacrificial units, we incarnate into bodies of form, into this seventh ray mechanism, uh, so that we can transform the body into human-like states. Over aeons, it takes time. So, the seventh ray is called the ray of ritual, or magic. Why magic? Because when we conceive of magic, we're conceiving of being attuned to all of the forms, all of the rituals, all of the cycles and pulses of life that produce the appearance of phenomenal things. And when you are attuned to the Deva Kingdom and to their rhythms, their form of mathematical ordering, and you understand that, and you apply that knowledge in the field of forms, you can create forms magically. You produce ordered power on the physical plane. You produce transformative effects on the physical plane. So this rhythmic, pulsating, ritualized physical plane activity is the seventh ray. And it governs, therefore, those that are magicians, occultists, those that are yogis working with their chakras, and they must work with these final forces of nature using consciousness and using the rhythms of life, the natural flow of the forces, through wisdom, through wise understanding of what they are and what they produce. Therefore, it's the ray that governs the alchemist and divine alchemy. So, these are the seven rays, and the rays traverse through space. There are seven planes of perception. We call it Adi, Anapadaka, which is also sometimes called monadic. Then there's the atmic plane the plane of the causation of karma and its resolution, then we call it then the next plane is buddhi, the plane of enlightenment of a onement of the chakras of the body of the, the logos. Then we have the mental plane, then we have the astral plane, and then we have dense physical. And the dense physical itself is divided into two portions. One is ephric and the other is the form that you see around you. And the ephric plane itself is but a body of energies. It contains your energy fields and the chakras, the flowers that organize all the energy fields according to the way consciousness must evolve. The mental plane itself is dual. There's an abstract or concrete mind and then there's an abstract mind, the intuitive mind. And then the next plane, Atma, is similarly dual. So what we're looking at is that the rays of light, they come, this, the primary energy comes from cosmic space. And they traverse through the planes of substance to produce effects within the planes of substance. And all of us have different ray lines. There's a ray that governs your spirit or monad. 
and this ray is actually three rays. It's the monad is in the form of the eye, and there's three rays with seven subrays each making twenty-one rays to the monadic life. Then the soul itself, the human soul, the Sambhogakaya flower as I call it, is governed by forty-nine different ray lines. And each the soul itself exists on the abstract realm of the mind and it of course is the store of all of your karma and is responsible for the reign of your lives in and out of space, what I call the consciousness stream. Then an individual is born, such as what each of you or which of us are, and there is a ray line that governs our mind, our thinking processes, a ray that governs our astral body, our emotional body, our body of desires, in other words, and then there's a ray that governs the physical body. And then there's a personality ray which governs the summation of that in accordance to the way that the soul has desired or ordained that personality to travel in that incarnation. It's quite important for most disciples to try to determine their ray lines, the way that they think, what colouring is it that conditions their mind. Is it second ray mind? Is it a third ray mind? Is it a fifth ray mind? And these types of different mind structures produce different thinking capacities. What ray is it that governs the way you are emotionally polarised. It's automatically governed by the sixth ray. So generally you can give that one a miss. The first ray would be too destructive. If you have a first ray emotional body, then you would generally tend to be very, very violent. Most people will not be able to control it. Um, So that's generally out, and therefore it gives you Um, the 4th ray, the 2nd ray, the 5th ray and the 7th ray emotional body. The physical body, Jenny, is one of seven. So those of you that want to know more about your personality rays should read Esoteric Psychology Volume 1 for the basic information to work this out. And the other books by Bailey. My books have the information also. I'm not so much concerned with personalities. I have many other things that I write about, but the information in the rays is spread out through my books, mainly to do with the field of consciousness and evolution. So the other thing also is that the planetary rulers, astrologically, we also think in terms of the rays. Mars, sixth ray. Venus, fifth ray. Jupiter, 2nd ray. Uranus, 7th ray. Pluto, 1st ray. So these planetary rulers and the rays of the planetary rulers is actually uh, the rays of the governing planetary scheme. There's 7 plus 3 of these in one solar evolution. And so this whole philosophy to do of the rays and the way that the rays Organized space is vast. You can think of our solar system again as governed by a specific ray. Our, um, at this particular stage, it's working through a second ray cycle. Our planet itself, 
this earth is a 3-7 ray at present. And so we go on looking at all aspects and diversities of nature, your own psychology in terms of the way the rays manifest, the rays and the sub-rays and the sub-ray combinations. So you can see it's quite a, quite a vast subject, which this talk is only giving you an introductory explanation of. Also, when we go to such things as Buddhism, for instance, and you get, for instance, the rays of the Buddhas of meditation, and these rays, they're what they call the Dhyani Buddhas. And the Buddhas themselves are the manifest five wisdoms, the higher correspondences or the transmuted correspondences of the five senses, or what they call the five sense consciousnesses. And therefore, if they use it, for instance, in their, their terminology, the, the highest of these Buddhas of meditation, Varachana, is the, a, a silver or silver white ray, and then you get a kshobhya with an indigo blue ray, then you get a mitabha with a red ray, then you get ratna samava with a golden yellow ray, and finally you get a mugha city with the green ray. Now, it's easy enough for me to show how these ray energies of these Buddhas of meditation and how they derived from the seven main rays. Also, as disciples, the first thing that we as disciples do, and one of the main things we try to discover, is not just our own personal rays, but more important to us is the rays of our soul and the sub-ray. And we almost exclusively think in terms of these sub-rays because ultimately the way of activity, the destiny, the purpose, underlying purpose of each disciple, and we're talking about disciples from generally from the, around the third degree upwards, is totally in conjunction to what the soul itself is manifesting for its life purposes. And the soul ray gives you placing within an ashram, one of the 49 departments of the hierarchy of light. And of these 49 possible ray combinations, 7 times 7, only about 22 ashrams at this stage are fully formed. In other words, they have masters of wisdom that are the pure expression of that ray and its sub-ray. There are some other ashrams that are forming. The ashrams are constituted of all of the souls of that particular ray combination. But that which governs the evolutionary progress of those souls is the master's ashram. So there's a lot of information in the Bailey books on this particular subject that any of you can read up. And I heartily suggest that you do read. It's the only way that your brain will ever um, develop higher states of awareness. Meditation will only lead you so far, and the reading needs to supplement it. Otherwise, information that comes through meditation will be meaningless to you. You'll only get a small understanding of what's actually happening. 
So the soul, the soul ray, and then the master's ashram. And what we're talking about now is the constitution of hierarchy. And all of you here learn that you are members of hierarchy and that you're aspiring to continue the progress of your past lives attainments on a higher cycle. To push that onwards into the future so that eventually you become liberated from form altogether. You can become liberated Buddhas and you can leave this earth sphere and travel into cosmic space. So above the Masters, the 22 or so ashrams that are presently formed stand the Kohans of the Rays, initiates of the sixth degree, who there are seven of these Kohans and they wield the pure ray lines for the entire planetary manifestation, not just for human beings, but for plants, animals, mineral kingdom and many divas alike. It's all within the Kohan's domain and they work continuously for the evolutionary progress of all of those streams and seeing it into the far distant future when everything is evolving in cosmos, interrelated with cosmic evolution. Then above that stands all of Shambhala, or above them, again manifesting different types of ray potencies, but they're not rays as you understand it, because they're transcendent. They're certain types of cosmic energies with different colorings that they respond to. The seven rays of which I have been speaking are really sub-rays of the seventh ray cosmically, which is the violet ray. There's simply seven sub-rays of that, but in reality it's the second ray that we speak of in the solar system because it's the primary ray. Therefore all seven rays are sub-rays of the second ray of love wisdom, because this is a solar incarnation governed by this particular ray line. This is some esoteric information, of course, which is beyond most of you to check or to correlate. But as you gain high initiation status, you'll see it for yourself. It'll awaken in your mind's eye, you experience the energies, and you live in it. One of the energies that are coming through um, from the cosmic astral is the azure blue. It's the energy of the cosmic astral plane. And therefore... As you become more and more awakened and you take higher initiations, these very intense forms of energies will come for you to experience. The seventh ray, from this cosmic perspective, is a silver-white energy. So you can see that the ray hues change as you go into higher dimensional perspective as you become a very high initiate. There are certain cosmic paths that you take as described in cosmic fire which are not based on the rays at all. 
But whatever, whichever way one goes when one is liberated from planetary life or liberated from solar life, uh, one has to work with and is expressed uh, the expressions of the rays. And when you do go to various planetary centers out there in cosmos, the various star systems, you will see the very beautiful colorings of those systems and the rituals that are governed by their particular ray line. It's quite important, therefore, from all aspects that you look at it for each of you to properly study and understand the rays. Your personality rays, your soul rays, and then later on, the higher energies that work through the consciousness in meditation of initiates. And the dark brotherhood have their own muddy forms of rays, their ruddy browns, their grey greens, their blacks. They hit you with these things because that's the past from which you've come from, which they want you to re-experience. Now it's painful and it stimulates all of your base qualities, your base emotions, your concrete mind attributes, your mental emotions, your desires, all these things. So this quality of rays is not just pure light, it goes all the way from this really brilliant silver white to the muddiest browns and blacks and grey blacks and greens that humanity wallow in and on the whole reside in. And matter of fact, when you read the Bible, and some of you have done so, I know, um, you will know that um, the way that the aura of the earth is described as the outer darkness. It's black, or near black. It's a murky, dark coloration, which is the general color of the human, mental, emotional energy field. And most of you don't realize it when a master with a kohan or enlightened being looks from their high domain they're residing on the buddhic plane and above they look down at this outer darkness very difficult to see through they generally look through your a group such as this you represent the eye (laughs) um, of vision for them the clarified substance that you are developing as you transform your grosser auric colorings into more and more refined energy fields or energy states. It's clarified and they see the world through you. It's a good thought, is it not? And one of the things you also do as you develop your powers, you use white light to cleanse that outer darkness, to cleanse the murk of this planet with rays of healing light, with rays of beautifying light, rays of harmonizing light, rays of transforming light. You yourself become a light body and your primary ray, your soul ray, starts to work and radiate out through you and you start to manifest something like those pictures that you see in the Buddhist art of those great ones. 
I'm looking forward to seeing that in all of you beautiful radiatory bodies of light because that's what you really are and a being of light is all that you really are you've come and Jesus said you know to bring light to this world light unto this world and what is it that makes you sick it is just simply grey substance, brown substance, grey-brown substance, reddish-brown substance that is congealing up in parts of your body because of um, stupid aspects of your consciousness, because of the type of uh, environment you may live in. When I'm, talking, when I'm talking environment here, I'm talking about emotional environment and types of toxins that you put into your body the types of the disease-bearing agents that, that can feed on, on that particular substance, that particular ray energy that's quite low and devitalized, gray, grayish, gray-green. And what is it that a healer does? A healer puts into that area of the body radiant energy, the energy of vital light, vital life and pushes out of that being substance that dull brownish greys energy according to the vicissitudes of karma as a matter of fact the esoteric healer can do two things one they take into their own body the sickness of another person and transform it and that of course necessitates a very high state of health of that individual or they use their own radiatory energy and pour into that being high-grade light to throw out of that being their substance. But there's much more to it than that, but of course when you put substance into somebody that's sick or energy into somebody that's sick, it can make the energy worse, intensify it. And make the sickness worse, that's what I was really meaning, intensifying it because of the effect of the energization. Intensifying it so it can be thrown out quicker, the sickness can be overcome. One of the things, one of the reasons why you take healing potencies, you do fasts when you're sick, you take herbs, is because you are trying to cleanse out of you with high energy rays, the herbs capture the sunlight and the vitality of the sun and they have their particular ray colouring depending on the type of diva associated and the fasting helps the body to throw off the sickness by not bringing into the body any more of the devitalizing rays the base energy fields and then positive informations does the rest. When you're dealing with the rays, you have to think in terms of sickness, disease, health, radiant vitality, that is called health. And we don't just think of it in terms of our own little human body. A group such as this has to think of a group sickness, group disease, group malaise, and to fix that up. 
and then we look at planetary sickness, planetary malaise or national sickness, national malaise and so forth and the process of healing an individual human unit healing a group, healing a nation, healing a planet it's all the same process all the same types of energies generated that make sickness and the same types of energies that must be pushed into the sickness in order to produce the alleviating health benefit. And that then brings in the whole nature of the science of meditation. When you are meditating and when you're working upon yourself to transform yourself, you're putting into the planetary substance light substance of a higher quality than is the outer darkness and starts to clear it away. You work upon yourself, a group such as this works upon themselves as a group, they start to anchor a force vortices that allows cosmic energies to enter because of the nature of the cosmic energy it's so potent a group has to form in order to together be able to handle it. And so the science of group evolution is the science of energy and energy containment and energy direction. And it's all again fought in terms of rays. And therefore when I say something to a group such as during Libra there's a green energy that is manifesting that we're working with um, it's the effect of the green energy and its energization that the whole group suffers from depending upon how much grey and grey greens and, and emotional watery substance that intense energy from Shambhala is producing a resistance to or that produces a resistance to the intense energy from Shambhala so this whole subject is quite vast intricate and beautiful and as you become more enlightened you will be living in it continuously and thinking along these lines think more about group evolution in terms of group sickness, group health um, group awakening because that is all there really is if you take a cell out of your body it dies the cell is part of a group organism that is your whole body if you take the cells out of your eye, the eye dies, you, you get blind. And, and a group such as this is a small organ within the body of the Logos, the planetary Logos, and it must remain healthy. And therefore the individuals within a group must think of the benefit of the members of the whole group more than they think of themselves in many ways, because that is the group dynamics of group evolution, of being able to transform the base substance of the group to become more and more a centre of healing light for the planet. It behoves all of you, therefore, to make sure that you don't generate the greys and the browns and the resistant energy to the downpouring forces from Shambhala, from hierarchy and from higher cosmic sources. This is therefore the thought I leave you of tonight is your own responsibility to not be the weakest link of a group 
whereby the energy then as it comes through because of the potency of the group meditation and group dynamics the energy is called forth the energy comes into the body and then it must work out through the points of power or the points of resilience or the points of watery ebb that can't handle the dynamics of what the group itself is trying to anchor it's better to have a small group that is very very potent and centered so that it can bring down energies and project energies outwards than to have a large group where there's a number of individuals that virtually explode when the energies come in and they cause the entire group lots and lots of problems trying to fix them up because the organ that the group represents is sick and diseased. Think along these types of lines as you work together. Do not manifest activity that produces sickness and disease of the organ of which the body of manifestation of what your group is, what your group represents, because the energy comes through irregardless. It must come through because the group dynamics demands that the energy comes to vitalize it as a group. And the energy of the group such as this can handle is greater than the energy that individuals can handle if you added all that together. Okay, so that's part of the way the masters work with you. It's not just an individual, though they look at each of you individually, it's you as a group. What is the maximum energization that the group can handle in order to do the meditation work, in order to do the service work that they are to do on this planet? That's always the computation, this mathematical exactitude on the plane atma that the, the great ones are thinking out as they energize you. And that's the same with me. I can only um, channel what the group as a whole can take, but the weakest link within the group sets the limits to what can be poured in. The weakest link, therefore, if they fix themselves up, allows the group to receive stronger energies and become more blissful and joyous inherently. Bliss, joy, love, these are all the same terms, really. So work at this concept of ray line and thinking in terms of ray in terms of healing sickness and diseases within yourself and within therefore the planet within the group and then within the planet okay thank you the fourth ray just acts as a mirror it harmonizes the the lower planes or the lower substance which is normally this sort of almost like in a chaotic state because of the nature of the mind and then the fourth ray uses the, math, the reflex mathematical exactitude into it to harmonize it. The reflection of this mathematical exactitude is what produces the beauty. But we certainly deal with a lot of image-making um, propensities of DB along the fourth ray line. And no, what you see on the fourth is um, the, the, again, the mirror. Um, that which is reflected from cosmic astral space into systemic space via the fourth ray. One way to always think of the fourth ray is it's this void, it's, it's the middle between extremes. I, I think 
thought with the fifth row when you were saying collate images, I didn't think of it in so much in terms of pictures, but more abstract images in the sense of not just patterns, but say just for a basic, yeah, basic example. I could be wrong, but you know, you get the engineers and the scientists, so they've got to get this map of what, say, a machine looks like Mm. and how all the different parts fit together, right? And it's 3D and it's 2D, what they have to imagine and visualise to invent things or to work out what's wrong with things, right? Mm. In order to pierce that, they're creating images That's right. of what the instruments look like and, and how or what might be going wrong with them, such as the, the, the bridge building like we were watching the other mm. night. And so it's that kind of imagery rather than beautiful sunsets or... Yeah. It can be, can be that as well, yeah. More astral imagery. Mm. Yeah, I also thought that one of the qualities of the fifth ray um, specifically was also this quality of um, separation, of defining and separating to increasingly... I mean, that's when you get that hell state of fifth ray mind, which is um, uh, the critical mind gone awry is just separating everything. That's right. That's that's why I mentioned it separates everything into unities into the ego, into the I am. And the whole process of collating um, demands that, first of all, there's lots of scattered... Departmentalised. Yeah, and then it sort of brings them together into um, into a patternings and thoughts and, and can project it onwards. Yeah, I had one other thought. Um, it was in relationship to the sixth ray. Because, I mean, we use that term, devotion, and I had a thought form that... Um, Maybe one of the esoteric reasons behind the word devotion is it's the devotion of the Deva kingdom to the human kingdom to provide a mechanism um, for the evolution of their consciousness through the creation of the astral. Yeah, it, it's it's more more correctly as I said, it's energy. It's, a, it's an energy field, and the energy field, when it works through the principle of desire, manifests this quality of devotion. See, depending on the strength of the energy field, depending on how strong the energy comes, so there's the strong strength of a devotion or the strength of deta- attachment to something or the strength of detachment to it. It's this, this energy field that, that is the, um, the factor behind the devotion. So when you really think, for instance, if you think of the uh, the, the six ray as, as the warriors of the Lord and of the, the armies moving out into battle, this is this is the, 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 the energy that produces this warlike tendency, the energy that produces grasping, clinging. If it's weak energy, it's not very strong. But if, it's, if the energy field comes strongly, um, through, then it produces a strong desire, a strong attachment. But also, there's a certain degree of, of, of commitment to positive things too. That 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 same energy, yes, yes, when it's rightly oriented towards hierarchical evolution. Yes, but that commitment yeah. comes from the mind. It's a it's a mentalistic process. It's an image from the mind that um, that galvanizes the energy field in order to um, produce changes or effects or to whatever it is in in the, to, you know, the field of forms. It's a sustaining and, and driving power. I often, if you're drawing the um, the six ray in a sense, it's the the spiral. Mm. 
the movement of the spiral. 